0: Talking Talmud. I'm one of your hosts here, Dana Azman. Here with my friend and and Gordon. Our Daf today, Masachat Yuma, Daf Mem Gimel, page 43. The bulk of this staff, or at least some of deals with the continuation of Ula going through every single pasuk with Paraduma and trying to make the point that you need to read these pasukim very carefully because the conditions or framework of what is true with one pasuk seems to always reverse itself with the other pasuk, with the next pasuk. Um, And so we see this, and even within there, there's some achlokas, even with the of you know, who was allowed to mix, who was allowed to collect the ash. But all of this is based on Midrash halacha. I think one thing we didn't mention last time, which uh, I neglected to say, Anne, is that, you know, a lot of this Midrash halacha is actually what we call uh, the sifra. This is all basically tanaitic. Um, explanations, particularly on, well, really only on safer Vayikra. Um, and that's a lot of what we're seeing here on these pages. Um, so I just want to go on here. After Ula concludes everything that he had to say here, we have the following statement from Ravasi. Ravasi says, Rabbi Yohanan and Reish Lakish were going through you know, the Para Aduma passage, and again, trying to find sort of what's the uniform framework here. And that's really what Ula was trying to do. And Ula was basically showing there isn't really a uniform framework here, right? Each pasuk seems to change what it is and who it is that we're talking about. Lo mina So they were basically, this is the saying here, they were able to bring up from it only what a fox brings up from the plowed field. Right. So what's the meaning of this is that they basically weren't able to come up with any type of approach to say this is how everything could be explained uniformly. Right. Instead. So they were like a fox who goes across a plowed field and doesn't come with anything else other than the dust that's at the fox's feet. So they weren't able to actually um, do this. Ella, Imri, Mashma, Mozi, miyad Mashma, Umashma, mimila. Right. So they were basically only only able to say that there's an applied condition in one verse. And then that's re- that 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 reverses the implied condition of the previous verse. And then there's an implied condition in the next one that's on its own. In other words, they're acknowledging that there's sort of this back and forth through all of the sukim um, itself. Um, and so I think it's interesting to see, uh, well, first of all, I think it makes sense for para aduma, right? We always say that para aduma is sort of the classic chok, right? What does that mean? that it's a chok, is, it's a mitzvah that we totally can't understand. And we know that there's many pieces of the paraduma. Why is it that you take this red cow and sprinkle the ashes and suddenly somebody becomes Tameh and goes to tahor? Why is it that the Kohen who prepares it actually becomes Tameh, but has to start off in a state of, of being tahor? So there's a lot of questions about paraduma. And so I think in a way it makes sense also that if it's truly the definition of a chok, that we can't actually come up with a framework, because that's exactly the idea. There's nothing that's truly understandable about the concept of paraduma, and I think this small passage plays into that and explains it as as well.
1: Um, I think, first of all, thank you for the clarification and the explanation. I happen to like this this, uh, story about the fox, because I have a note here that says the idea of the fox is that because he's his footprints are small, and he's basically light on his feet, and so therefore, right. So then he's leaving. He's leaving very light prints, meaning it's not very helpful. Which I find to be like such a long explanation for something that you could just say it's not very helpful. Um, so that's one thing I think that I just found that as a as a comment on the on the fox story. Um, I think it's interesting your point, your about the paraduma being so incomprehensible, and yet here it is again brought to make Yom Kippur more comprehensible.
0: That's an interesting point too, right? We're using the Paraduma and and maybe the Paraduma shouldn't be brought, or we would think it wouldn't be brought because it's so its own thing. And yet we're using a lot of parallels to be like, well, if this is true of Yom Kippur, could this be true of Paraduma or is the opposite? So I, I just think everything about Paraduma is not understandable. And we see this with this lengthy explanation of Ula and then even with this final short passage with Rabbi Yochan and Lakish, that even they, they were not able to really figure this out. Um, before you go on to the mission, I just want to point out this small little passage here, which, you know, really reads pretty straightforwardly, but I think is an important point, where it says, Right? The Kohen Gadol goes to the par, the chata, that's going to be a par, a second time, and again says a vidui. So it asks the obvious question, which is, why is it that for the first um you know Vidoy he doesn't mention Aron Ubane So why is it mentioned in the second Vidui specifically uh you know to also do a Vidoy for all the Kohanim. Hadin Right? So there was a brace taught in the you know Academy of Rabbi Ishmael that this is you, you know, midat hadin this is what what would, this is logically what makes sense. It's better that an innocent person, right? Tries to get atonement for the guilty. The Rather than a guilty person should gain atonement for the guilty. So in, in other words, the idea is the Kohen Gadol initially needs to do a vidoy for, for him and his own personal immediate family first. Once he's clean and has, a, you know, done his kapara, then he can ask Kapaura for everybody else. And that's why we had these multiple v It's not okay for the kohen Gagal to sort of go straight to asking for Power for everyone. He needs to work his way up to it. And therefore he needs to do his own first and then he can ask for other people. And I, I think intuitively when you read this, you're like, oh, this makes sense. Um, but it's not so clear when you read that Mishnah first. And, and I thought this was just a nice articulation in the Gemara itself
1: right. i'm I'm glad that they articulated. I also do think that it's you know, it has to be this way because otherwise we'd be up asking questions of the wazoo about you know how could he be doing this on behalf of everybody when he's not himself already you know achieved his own atonement?
0: yes, exactly. Um, okay, I think we're ready for a very long. Time
1: okay, right. We have, and I would say it's uncharacteristically long for Masachat Yuma, as compared to Shkalem. I would say it's even short, but but for Yuma, this is long, and we're continuing in the process of the day. And some of this procedure is actually, um, as we've seen before, it's akin to what's going to happen on a regular day, and also then we see some differences of what's going to happen on Yom Kippur. So the coin Gadol would. Come and he would shekht, He would slaughter a bull, right? And he would collect the blood. I'm sorry. This is. I should note. This is a. We need a trigger warning here for uh, those who are squeamish, which sadly includes myself. Um, he he's gonna collect the blood in a bowl, and then he's um, he's got a he's got an assistant there the Kohen Gadol, and he hands off the bowl, I meaning he collects the blood, and then stir it. And the stirrer is going to stir it to make sure that the blood itself is not going to coagulate, right, while the Kohen Gadol is going on to the next step, right? The blood is supposed to stay liquid here. Natal um, so then what he does, the Kohen Gadol takes his his um, sensor of incense, he goes up the top of the altar, he he puts the coals here and there, right? On both sides of the Mizbech. And he would, he kind of digs amongst those that have already, the inner ones that have already been consumed. And then he comes down he takes the the, plan, the pan from the coals with the coals and he puts them on it says the rovid the first the fourth row, which means like of the tiles that would be in the in the courtyard. So again, this is very um dictated specific procedure. Okay. And uh, also it seems that the the I should say the this rovet and That's where the stirrer was standing. Also, this is it's mentioned twice, just in this very beginning of the Mishnah. The Mishnah continues. Now, every day, meaning any time, he's got uh, uh, the bull on this kind of in this kind of way. It's the same procedure, the shkita. but on this day, no, it's uh, on every other day. He would scoop up the coals. The pan would be made of silver, and he would pour those coals into a pan of gold. On Yom Kippur, he scoops up the coals to begin with a pan of gold, and then with that same coal, with that same pan—he brings them into the Kodesh Kodashim. So this is, as I say, this is a certain amount that is the same as every day, and a certain amount of divergence. And then another comment on this in the same kind of way. Bahol yom on every day, choteh arba kabinu marab l'tochsho kabin. On every day, meaning every other day than Yom Kippur, he would scoop up the coals. He would in a pan that would hold four kav. That's a measurement, and he would pour the coals into a different pan of three kav. Va'yom, meaning Yom Kippur, he would scoop up three kav in to begin with. It's not that he would he would um, scoop up four. He takes the three. And he would bring them into the Kodesh Kodeshim. Machnis means he would enter with it. It doesn't tell us where he's entering, but we all understand this is where he's going. Rabbi Yossi says that the regular day was a different plan, meaning he agrees with the same procedure for Yom Kippur, but he says that regularly the cold pan would be one of a sa'a. A sa'a is six kabin, as opposed to four, which is then reduced to three. So really, you know, on a regular day, it seems that there's more coals, and he takes more of them. And then, perhaps here we have some insight as to On every other day, the coal pan is very heavy. Um, And the, the reason it's heavy, it seems to be, according to the commentaries, is that the metal itself was heavy, meaning it's a heavy pan. They want it to be sturdy and to last, right? This is something that is in use, really, every day. Why is it light on this day? My God has to conserve his energy. And if he uses all of his energy to carry the pan, then he might be in trouble for the actual avoda that he needs to do later on in the day. On every other day, the handle is short. And on this day, it's long. Meaning it's long so that he could use his arm to support the weight of the pan. It's a matter of, I don't know what, torque, right? Meaning this is something about the way... Um, the way weight is distributed on a long handle or a short handle. And the idea is that the long handle will make it easier for him to maneuver it. And to just to wield it. Greenish gold, on this day, it's a red gold. And those statements are by, by Rebbe Menachem. And every other day, the, the kohed would sacrifice a paras, which is the amount that is a half amaneh. This is of the ktorit. And a paras in the afternoon, meaning it's the the measurement of the ktorit that he would do in the morning and the afternoon. It's called a paras, or the amount is a paras. But on this day, Kippur, he'll take an additional handful, you know, to the extent that he can hold. And he will, again, he'll burn it in the Kodesh Kodeshim. But so usually the, the incense that they used in the Beit HaMikdash was quite fine, but on this day, on Yom Kippur, it was ground even more finely uh, to be super fine, whatever, for the avoda in the in the Kodesh Kodeshim. And yet our Mishnah continues, talk about a long Mishnah. So on every other day, the kohen, we can have a whole manish tanah just for this, right? On every other day, the Kohanim would go up on the eastern side of the on the of the ramp, and they would come down on the western side. On this day, only the Kohen Gadol is going up. He goes up in the middle of the ramp and he comes down in the middle of the ramp. And Rabbi Huda says, "Well, that's just what the Kohen Gadol does." Meaning, all the other Kohanim would go up on the east side and come down on the west side the Kohen Gadol would always go up on the in the middle and always come down in the middle, which is an interesting caveat from Rabbi Yehuda. It's not clear if it's a clarification or a disagreement. You know, I don't see anything that says, that says that it couldn't just be a clarification. And then we have two more. And every other day, the coin Gadol would sanctify his hands and his feet, meaning he'd wash his hands and his feet. He would use it from the from the sink, right, from the kior that's part of the Beit HaMikdash, the same way all the other Kohanim would do so as well. But on this day, he uses the keton shalzahav, which is, again, it's a special vessel, I guess, for washing, specifically for the Kohen Gadol on Yom Kippur. Rabbi Omer, In this case, it's clear that Rabbi Huda is disagreeing, and he says, "No, no. He every other day of the year, he also would use um, the the Kiton Zahav. So maybe he's disagreeing actually for the ramp as well. And then, yom On every day, you have four arrangements of <laughs> set up on the and but on this day, you have five. Rabbi Rabbi so the question is, do you have four, but today five? Or do you have three, but today four? Is a machloka between Rebbe Meir and Rabbi Yossi. These are the arrangements on the Mizbeach of the wood that would burn the various korbanot. And we have a third opinion that Rabbi Huda says, because each time I guess he really is disagreeing. He says, every day there would be two, but on this day you have three, meaning again, the arrangements of the wood on the, on the Mizbeach. And the question is, you know, exactly what they're going to be, what they're going to be used for. Now, I think that this long Mishnah, and th- we really don't have much Gemara on this stuff. We get to the Gemara on this same Mishnah, you know, tomorrow. Um, it's really separating, you know, it's talking about, uh, as I said, Manishtana. What's the difference between the all these same procedures, which are technically part of a daily avoda as well? How do they differ when that day becomes Yom Kippur? And some of it is who's doing what, and some of it is
0: exactly what is being done and how. What's interesting to me is that, you know, we're sort of teaching about the regular avoda, starting with the day of the most specific avoda. Like, why isn't, you know, there isn't really a Mishnah that's going through, this is what a typical day in the Beit HaMikdash was like. Instead, we're using Yom Kippur as a way to get into the daily avoda. Just from an organizational point of view, it's interesting.
1: Right. I might have thought that there would be a Mishnah that says, this is what the, how the avoda looks, and then like with a caveat, but on Yom Kippur, they would do thus and such. And it's the opposite of that. It's the saying, you know, this is how it's done on, well, no, it says each time, on every other day they do this, and on this day they do that. What's strange about it is the focus, of course, of the entire Masachet is Yom Kippur. So to be kind of teaching us about the Karbanot, of the everyday kind of aga, meaning by the by of teaching us about Yom Kippur is an interesting method.
0: Exactly. And I I just, you know, just we're making note of it. Just pay attention to it. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rankest Reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this staff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank you.